Here's what we're going to talk about today. Guess what series we're in? Worship. Yes. We should wrap this up soon. Um, yes, this is our 15th or 16th week. And please, please, by the end of this, please know the definition of worship. Worship is your connection to God. It's not singing. It's not doing something. It's your relationship to God. A heart that is surrendered to the Lord. To say, God, I belong to you. My life is yours. That's our place of worship. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is our theme, uh, our verse. And it says, Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God because of all that he's done for you. So we got to remember, God went first. He, he did his part to make everything for you, your life, to be all that it can be. Without God, we can do nothing but with God. And in the first 11 chapters, it talks about what Jesus did. He came and fulfilled the law, and, he, and now we can operate not under the, under the law but under grace. And he goes through all of this in the first 11 chapters. And now he's saying, as a result of all this, give your bodies to God as a living sacrifice, living and holy sacrifice, which means sacrifice a lot of times in the Old Testament was when there was an animal or something that was killed. So there was death involved when it talks about a sacrifice. And so a living sacrifice means, listen, I'm dying to me, and I'm living for you. And that's easy to say. Sometimes it's difficult to do, but that's what our hearts need to be. That every day it's like, Lord, today I want to live for you. I want there to be less of me, and I want there to be more of you flowing out of my life. That's worship. It says right there, this is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world. Let God transform you into a new person. And how does he do that? Read the next part. By changing the way you think. That's how God helps us. He transforms us into a new person and he changes the way we think. In the past, we think, if I do all of this, then God will love me. Now, we understand God loves me and my relationship with him causes me to want to do these things that please him. So our mind is shifting. Our thoughts are changing to what's important. Then it'll say, then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good, perfect, and pleasing. Then the other scripture that we have for this series is Mark 12, 29 and 30. Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. I love, love, love how Jesus says the most important thing you can do is to love God with everything. There could have been a lot of things. Today you would hear a lot of different things about what's the most, what does God want the most? He wants you to do this. He wants you to go into the mission field. He wants you to do this. Or he wants you to do this. You know what? The greatest thing God wants you to do is just connect with him. Just love him with everything you got. Because when you do that, you'll change. You'll find yourself different just because you've been connected to God. It's amazing how that, how that works. So we've been talking through this whole series about worship, that this is, it's all about connecting to God. And, and where we're at now is we've talked about hindrances to worship. We talked about what worship is. And then we've been talking recently about what happens when we worship. And part of what happens is we begin to realize who we are. Our identity becomes more clear. And usually, it's a, for most of us, hopefully it's, it's our changing who we think we are into who God says we are. And that happens just from connecting with God. And we have to believe what his word says more than we believe what other people say. Because most of us in, at least have a temptation 
to live according to what people say. We want to we please people. So if, you know, I know growing up, I, w- I was involved in every group in our high school. I mean, I would just be whoever they wanted me to be. So one minute I'm into hunting and fishing. The next minute I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm with the athletes. We're all, you know, I play baseball, I play basketball. We're, yeah, we're here. And then over here, I'm into this other rap. And then I'm into heavy metal. And then I'm into this. And I'm just going with the flow. I'm changing by whoever I'm around. So for me, I became more of a uh, thermometer than a thermostat. I just change who I am according to whatever I'm around. I adjust. Thermostat says, this is me. Everything around me will adjust. Thermometer changes based on where you are, right? So you get what I'm saying? Now, we do that because of insecurity, because of hurt, because of pain, because of the way we were taught, because of whatever reasons, we have a tendency to view ourselves the way people, what people say about us, what people think about us. We also tend to view ourselves how we see ourselves based on our past. You know, and, and, and you can't, you can't, um, I'm not saying that you, you don't have a testimony of what God delivered you from, but I am saying this, the Bible says, even Paul says, one thing I do is I forget what's behind me and I press on to what's ahead. I'm not that same person I was. You know, that doesn't mean that I still don't have stuff I deal with, but it means I'm on a journey to become all that God says that I am. And and the Lord is really challenging us these last few weeks to listen to what he says and stop thinking who you, stop thinking you are what people say you are or what you think you are or what society says you are. And a lot of times part of it is we're comfortable. If this, if we don't, it requires change. If we change who we are, it'll change the way we act, Right? That's, how many of you love change? Right. Yeah. A few weird people. I'm just kidding. But most of us don't. Most of us don't. I always say the people I know, the only people I know that love change is baby with dirty diapers. They will scream until they get changed. That's it. Nobody else. It's tough. It requires things. So we, we, we begin to talk about what happens and how can you tell if you have a low sense of self and not really knowing who you are. And here's some of the things we talked about. Uh, we get really defensive. We, we make excuses when we're confronted. The other thing that we do is, is we're dominated by what other people think. Another thing is we get easily offended. Look, just ask yourself. Do not touch your neighbor, okay? Ask yourself. If people come up and challenge me, what's my response? What's my normal response? Is it to look inward and say, hmm, I need to, I need to pray about that? Probably not with a lot of us. It's either like, mind your own business, <laughs> you know, or, oh, who are you to talk, right? That's a sign that we're, we're just not confident in who we are. We, we have to be very, you know, we have to be very cautious because offense, offense is usually taken. It's not given. So a lot of times we choose to get offended. It's not, someone can't force you to be offended. Something they say offends you, but you have to ask yourself, why? Why has that bothered me so much? Why am I holding on to that offense? 
If you look in Mark chapter 6, you're going to see that Jesus couldn't do a whole lot in his hometown because of unbelief and because people were offended. It'll limit what God can do if you allow offense to run your life and you begin to make decisions on hurt and offense as opposed to what's God saying? What's God saying? Listen, have I been offended? Yes. Have I got my feelings hurt? Yes. And it's not easy, but there's times when I do that I have to go to the Lord and say, Lord, is, is that something you're doing in me? And realistically, are people going to hurt you? Yes, intentionally sometimes and unintentionally sometimes. But how do we walk through that? If you're confident in who you are, then you don't, you don't let that speak to your identity. You stay confident in what God says about you. So here's what we've talked about so far. All right? Ephesians 1, 5, 1 John 3, I'll just go through these. You you don't have to put them up on the screen. These scriptures talked about that we're children of God. So before anything, that good, good father song, you know, we're loved by God. We are God's children. Every one of you that accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are now in the family of God. Period. Even if you just made that decision today, you don't have to be perfect and change all your behavior to become a child of God. You become a child of God because you receive Jesus. You're a child of God. Some of you, maybe you didn't have a great example of a father in your life. And maybe that's hindered how you would see a father. But I want you to know that God the Father loves his children. And that God the Father protects his children. And God the Father will not let his kids go through things that they can't handle with him. God the Father looks after his children. God the Father teaches his children. God the Father will correct his children. God the Father will be a great, great father to you. And if you see yourself as a child of God, all of a sudden you have this identity. You know, think about, um, think about when, you're, when you're younger and, and, and you're so, you know, your dad does something. Nice, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's my dad. That's my dad. I'll never forget one time when Chase was really young, and someone was asking, they were telling him something, and, and they said, what does your da- dad do? He said, my dad owns a church. <laughs> and I was like, uh, no, I don't. But he was so proud because his dad was something. Can I tell you what you could say to people about your dad? Uh My dad created this world. My dad can speak something and it'll happen. My dad has raised the dead. My dad has given sight to the blind. My dad has caused the lame to walk. That's what my dad has done. My, My father loves people. My God loves the whole world. I mean, think about, that's who your father is. Don't ever, don't ever hang your head when you go to the Lord. Even when you struggle, even when you mess up, you come to the Lord, I promise you, every time you come to the Lord, you're going to see his arms are wide open. He's right there. He just, he loves to just hug you. He loves to just be with you. He loves to just comfort you. That's who God is. He's a comforter. He's the prince of peace. That's his nature. He's love. God is love. That's your dad. That's your father. Your heavenly father is loving. You're hurting today? 
guess what? You got a father that just says, hey, I love you, and I'm here for you. I wish as a father sometimes I could take all pain away from my kids. If they fall, if they, if they get scraped, I wish I could just take it away. But sometimes it's not that it needs to be taken away as much as I just need to love on them. And sometimes just holding your children, just hugging them makes them feel like, hey, I'm okay. It's going to be all right. That's what God does with you. He loves you. You're a child of God. Look to your neighbor and say, you're a child of God. If you're not sitting next to anyone, just say, I'm a child of God. <laughs> Talk to yourself. Romans 15, 7 says that we're accepted. We are accepted by God. You can view yourself or see yourself as some man, I'm just so different than everybody. I'm so weird. I'm so, or you can look at it like that, or you can look at it like I've done so much. I've messed up so many times. I have failed over and over again. But every time you come to God, you come accepted. Every time. That's who you are. Colossians 2, 9 and 10, we talked about that you're complete, lacking nothing. Galatians 3, 27 and 28, we talked about how there's no more male or female, Jew or Greek. There's, there's none of that. You know what there is now? We're all one. We all come to God as one. There, there, I'm no more special than you, and you're no more special to me. Or no more special than me to God. We're all the same. God sees me the same way he sees you. God sees you the same way he sees Billy Graham. God sees you the same way he sees any other person. So you don't have to think, man, I wish I could be like, or God's probably so proud of him and so whatever of me. That's not true. That's not true. You can go before God just as confident that when God looks at you, he's like, that's my boy or that's my girl. That's, that's, that's how God is. And I gave you the illustration last week when we were talking about it, about when my kids were born. You know, each kid was totally different. And you would think after going, having a kid once, and then the second time, you think you just kind of get used to it. And it, would, it wouldn't be that big a deal anymore. But it's not. It's still a big deal. It doesn't matter how many. I mean, ask the Duggars. I'm sure they're just excited over 19 as whoever. Whatever that show is that has all them kids. I'm sure they... But you know what? Each individual person is celebrated in their own way because they're, they're no more special than anybody else. We've talked about uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. It says that we're a new creation. We are a new creation. How many of you uh, received Jesus when you were really, really little? You've always just lived for God. How many of you... Didn't grow up really serving God, and it wasn't until you got a little bit older that you accepted Jesus. Well, guess what? As soon as you accepted Jesus, whether at 6 or whether at 60, whether at 20, whatever age, when you accepted Jesus, here's what the Bible said. The old is gone, and new life began. New life. So when you see yourself, and, you, and we talked about this last week. If I, I told you the illustration, if I, if I changed my name to Billy, which a lot of you, 20 of you, left yes, last week saying bye, Billy. I appreciate that. You guys are awesome. <laughs> um, but when I said that, here's the thing. If I change my name to Billy and I go about my business this week doing what I do every other week, you know how many people are still going to call me Scott until they get used to realizing, oh, wait a minute, that's not his name. So when we see ourselves one way, and then we get, we get saved and we connect with God and he tells us this is who you are, not that. You are a brand new person. 
then when you live your life, there's going to be times that that old thing starts to speak or people start to talk about that old person or that old identity. And you have to recognize and say, that's, that's not me anymore. That's not me. Don't keep living in something that God has set free, that God has told you that's no longer you. You're, you're different now. You're different now. Don't, don't let labels get put on you. The only label you need on you is what God says. You're a child of God. You're accepted. You're complete. You're just like everybody else. You're a new creation. Colossians 3 says we're hidden in Christ. In other words, it's in him that we live, that we move, that we have our being. So because we're in him, we have connection to him, and it changes everything about who we are. We have to stay connected to him. Romans 3, 23 and 24. Let's go ahead and put that up because this is where we're going to kind of start. We, I love this verse. That's why I'm reading it again. You guys probably know it by heart because we mention it a lot. But for everyone has sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. This is what God says. Yet God freely, even knowing that, okay? Verse 23 is the absolute truth. How many of you have sinned? Yes. Okay. We all know that. God wrote that. In, that's God's word. We've all missed it. Then it says, yet, in other words, knowing that, God still says and graciously declares that we are what? Righteous. Now, can we, can we be real for a minute? Is that all right? All right. Take off your spiritual faces for just a second. I mean, we are spiritual people. It's not like I'm asking you to not be you. But don't, let's don't do the spiritual answer for a minute. Do you always feel righteous? Is your identity changed when you don't feel righteous? Are you still righteous when you don't feel righteous? If we could understand that even more, the freedom that it would bring us and the change that even would come to us. And realizing, you know what? I see all my stuff. I struggle. I see it. I just, I, I missed the mark so many times. And I hear people, and I almost cringe, even though, listen, I, will, some part, I had someone a while back tell me that they got in this big ordeal about someone who said they were a sinner, and he's like, no, you're not. You're. Listen, you don't have to debate people, because sometimes what people are saying is, as when they say sinner, someone who, who sins. Okay, yes, we all we all fall short. But our identity is in what God says. So God says here, all have sinned. So that, that's everybody. All have sinned. But then he says, but yet, yet I still freely and graciously tell you that you're righteous. Because your righteousness doesn't come from your perfect acts. Your righteousness comes from the perfect God and Jesus that's, that's with you. So you're righteous because of Jesus, whether you feel like it or not. So when you begin to see yourself as righteous, you will begin to act more like you're righteous. Because it's who you are. It's who you are. All right? Ephesians 5, we talked about the bride of Christ. We talked about the relationship there and how it talks about how when he says husband loves your wife as Christ loved the church, it goes on to talk about he gave himself and he, he cleanses her and he, he wants to purify her and make her and just present her as this beautiful bride. 
That's what, that's what God does for us. We are the, we're, the bride, we're the bride of Christ. We're the bride of Christ. He loves us. He cares for us. All right, here's where we're picking up from last week. Look at Philippians 3, verses 18 and 20. 18 through 20. For I have told you often, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they're really the enemies of, the, of Christ. They're headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about life here on earth. But we, everybody say that, but we, all right, I'm sorry, I mean everybody, but we, there we go, are citizens of heaven. Where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we're eagerly waiting for him to return. Listen, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father right now, in heaven, and our citizenship is there. That's where, that's, that's where our home really is. If that doesn't help you walk through your own personal journeys or difficulties with where we're at as a country and where this world is, I'm telling you, you don't, you're not a citizen of this place. You're just here for a short time on the eternal map. This is a small little dot of life that you're living. Matter of fact, I read, and I can't pronounce the guy who quoted this, so forgive me, it's Pierre or something, something. Um, But I read it, and it said this, we are not human beings in this spiritual journey. We are spiritual beings in this short little human journey. So we can't look at life based as we're this human thing trying to do this. We are a spiritual being. And we're in this little time here where we're in this human body. But that time is going to end at some point. And we're going to go to our home in heaven where Jesus is. And we're going to spend eternity with God. Without sin, without sickness, without lack, without struggle, without disease, without pain, without any of that. We're going to spend eternity there forever and ever and ever because we've accepted Jesus. That's that's where we're going. That's where our home is. So if you've ever, how many of you have ever been out of the country on a mission trip or even just traveling? Okay, I went on a mission trip one time and I went to Nicaragua and and I remember when I first got there, and I remember all some of the stuff that was, was, I, was I saw for the first time, and I thought, man. And I saw how different people were living, and, and I saw this. But you know what? After a while, I mean, I really enjoyed ministering to people, but I, can I just be honest with you? I'm a sender. I send people. I pray for people. But unless the Lord tells me to go, I'm probably not signing up. Okay? But I went. And I took a group of youth with me. And I remember after I was there and I was, I was like, wow. And, and God used us to minister to people and there were some great things that happened. But I remember at some point thinking, okay, I'm just visiting here. I'm, home is better. Home is better. And I remember just waiting. When, when are we getting on the plane? I mean, I love these people. I'm not, I wasn't like, I want to get out. It wasn't the people. It was just, the, I just... You know what? Just wasn't as comfortable. Did, did I need to that experience? Absolutely. Did it make me more grateful for a mattress? Absolutely. But you know what I realized? That same application, when we're living here on earth, it's like a little mission trip. 
telling people about Jesus, letting people know there's life beyond what we experience here. And then one day, we're going to go home to that place to say, man, it's much better here than where I was. I'm telling you, y'all, the heaven is real. And as, a, and as a believer, that's your home, not this place here. So why spend so much time trying to work everything and fix everything and do everything to make us happy here? This ain't home. Well, if I, this is what makes me happy. If I could have this, or if I could have this, or I could be with this person, if I could be with this person, if I could have this job, if I could have this job, if I could do this. Listen, I'm just going to tell you right now, if you're basing any of your happiness on here, you're not really going to be happy. That's going to be a very shallow form of happiness. But the happy joy that comes from God is when you're connected to him and you realize, man, I'm only here for a small season and then I'm going home and when I get home man it's going to be amazing I'm going to be with my family I'm going to be with people there's going to be no no fear no worry no struggle none of that it's going to be an amazing amazing place there used to be a little song I'm not going to sing it for it was like uh, heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace. I'm going to see my Savior's face because heaven is a wonderful place. I want to go there. Heaven is a wonderful place. See, I told you I wouldn't sing it. I am anyway. All right? But I'm telling you, that's it. And we get to, that's our home. So when you get frustrated and when you're watching the, the news and you're like, oh, this country is so jacked up, you need to finish that statement by saying, but thank God I'm not from here. Thank God this is not my home. My home is in heaven, and there's no struggle up there. There's no division up there. There's no hatred up there. We are citizens of heaven. Look to your neighbor. Say, you're a citizen of heaven. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 11. You are not like that, for you are a chosen people, royal priest, Holy nation, this is you, God's very own possession. A very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he has called you out of what? Darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as people, but now you are, say it, God's people. Once you receive no mercy, now you've received God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from the worldly desires that wage war against your souls. So this scripture says, listen, we are chosen. We are royal priests. We are in a good standing place of authority because of our connection to God. That's who we are. And it goes on to say we are a God's possession. You know what? We... Uh, Okay, I'll tell you this. Don't do this, okay? This is, this is the old Scott. But have you ever treated your car different than when you rented a car? You know, when you're at a 
let's say you're at a youth conference and you you rent a car and it's fast and there's speed bumps and you just think, oh, this would be awesome. It's not my car, right? So we don't always take as much care of something that's not ours because that's not ours. I can drive this car, see if I can get some air. That's not my car. What's they going to do, you know? That was a long time ago. But then when I get a car, I remember the first car I got, I was like, you know, and it wasn't even, it wasn't even that nice of a car, but it was mine. Mazda GLC Deluxe. And if they put deluxe on it, it means we got to make it sound good. It was a box car. It ran even when you took the key out. <laughs> it was old. Hole in the floorboard. I mean, just, you could hear me coming. You could see when I started it. <laughs> Smoke. But you know what? It was mine. And I treated it different. Because it was mine. Now, let's just think about how we treat our stuff, how we would treat something that doesn't belong to us. How does God treat his stuff? Man, he's very kind, very loving, very protective. He's a jealous God. He cares about you. He's not going to let, he's not going to continue to let people just continue to hurt and hurt and hurt and mistreat you. He's going to be there for you. He's going to strengthen you. He's, he's going he's gonna to give you everything you need to walk through whatever difficulties you're facing. Do we still live in a fallen world where stuff happens? Yes, but I'm telling you, God, God is your father. And you belong to him. And you're his possession. And then he tells you, he warned, there's a warning that because we're here and we're kind of residents, like we're kind of hanging out here for a little while, he warns you about not getting caught up in the worldly stuff. Because the worldly stuff will pull you away from worship. It'll pull you away from your connection with him. And it'll, it'll cause you to change your focus. What I said earlier, that all of a sudden now you're a human on a little spiritual journey instead of seeing yourself as a spiritual being with just short little time here in human form. <clears throat> so we need to understand that. Romans eight thirty seven. And all things, here's another thing that we are. We are more than conquerors. How many of you would love to just be a conqueror? You just feel like, man, if I could just conquer this. With God, you are more than a conqueror. In other words, you can do exceedingly, abundantly, above anything you could ever ask or think, according to the power that's inside of you. How is that power manifested? The more you connect with God, connected to the vine, the branches produce fruit. But you got to be connected. You got to be connected. So one translation says, overwhelming victory is ours through Jesus. We win. We, I mean, you know, I saw on Facebook, someone said, uh, they were at the end of Revelations. They said, if you read the end, guess what? We win. Have you ever known people to, to fight when they know they've already lost? You know, you already lost. You just keep fighting, hoping there's a chance. Listen, the enemy knows that he's already lost. Do you know why he knows that? 
because he's been stripped of his powers. He just tries to deceive you now. That's it. Jesus took care of the enemy once and for all, made a public spectacle of him, according to Colossians. And now he's just trying to deceive you into thinking this this battle ain't over. But it is. At the end, here's what's going to happen. Every one of you, myself included, one day we're going to stand before God for us, not for anybody else. Can't bring other people around. Well, it's because of him. Well, it's because of her. Nope, it's you and God. You're going to stand before God. We're going to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Or we're going to hear, depart from me, I never knew you. But then here's what's going to happen. You're going to see that the enemy as well, Satan himself, cast into the lake of the fire. And he, all he's trying to do is get people to go with him. Because he knows he's bound, to, he's, he's, he's done. He knows he's done. He's a loser. He's, he's done. And sometimes when you, when you know that, your biggest thing you can do is try to, try to do something. Try to take as many people with you as you can. And that's what the enemy's trying to do. He's trying to destroy your life by allowing you to get involved in all this other stuff. And I want to tell you, with God, you are more than able to overcome the enemy and any of his plans toward you. There is no, well, it was just too much. With God, all things are possible. You're more than a conqueror. Look to your neighbor and say, you're more than a conqueror. And then 1 John 4, 4, this is just an extra thing here. Not only is this who you are, but it's what you possess. You belong to God, dear children. You've already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you, say it with me, is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. The spirit in you is greater than the spirit that lives in this world. Therefore, you are more than conquerors. So let's, let's look at this real fast. Let me just review this real fast. You're a child of God. You're accepted by God. You're complete in him. You're just as important and valuable as anybody else. You're a new creation. You're hidden in Christ. You're righteous because of Christ. You're the bride of Christ. You're a citizen of heaven. You're a citizen of heaven. You're more than a conqueror. And you possess the spirit of God in you. That's greater than the spirit that's in this world. My friends, that's who you are. That's that, if that doesn't line up with who you think you are, then you need to rip that name tag that you've had on you for such a long time. And you need to allow the Lord to, to help you receive the identity that he has for you. You're a child of God. You're a child of God. Let's look at these last two verses. Mark 1, 9 through 11. One day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee. John baptized him in the Jordan River. Remember that. Where did John baptize him? When Jesus came up out of the water, he saw heaven splitting apart. And the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. It wasn't a dove. It was the Holy Spirit like a dove. 
You ever see those movies and this white dove comes down and sits on Jesus? Okay, that's not what it was. It was the Holy Spirit that ascended like a dove. And this voice came from heaven. And here's the voice. Here's what the voice said to Jesus. Not way to go. Good baptism. Here's what he said. He said, you are my dearly loved son. And you bring me great joy. I want you to close your eyes for a second. I want you to hear God saying that to you right now. You are my beloved son or daughter. And you bring me great joy. That's what God is saying. You think, well, it's easy for him to say that to Jesus. You know what? That's, we, are, we, are, we are in the same relationship to God as Jesus was. Because you and I are now children of God. We are heirs of the Father. We are joint heirs with Jesus. We are now in the family as sons of God. Right? Now look at this last scripture. John 10 verse 31. Once again, the people picked up stones to kill Jesus. They're killing him because they say he's saying that he's the son of God. And they're saying that's blasphemous. Jesus said, at my father's direction, I've done many good works. So again, he was only doing what his father said. How will he know what his father wants him to do? Because he was connected to his father. So at my father's direction, I've done good works. For which one are you going to stone me? And they replied, we're stoning you not for a good work but for blasphemy, because you're a mere man claiming to be God. Jesus replied, it is written in your own scripture that God said to certain leaders of the people, I say that you are God's. And you know the scriptures cannot be altered. So if those people who received God's message were called God's, then why do you say blasphemy when I say I am the son of God? So here he is. He's saying, I'm the son of God, and they're calling it blasphemy. So here's what they're doing. They're challenging his identity. Are you with me? Okay, they're challenging. He's saying he's the son of God, and they're saying that's blasphemy. After all, the father set me apart and sent me into the world. Don't believe me unless I carry out my father's work. But if I do his work and believe in the evidence of the miraculous works I have done, even if you don't believe me, then you will know and understand the father is in me and I'm in the father. Once again, they tried to arrest him, but he got away and he left. He went beyond where? near the place where John was first baptizing, and he stayed there a while. Listen, I'm going to close with this. Jesus himself, as a man, when he was baptized, he heard this voice that finally, which he knew, but that, that reassured him of his identity. You are my beloved son that I love, and you bring me joy. And then all of a sudden, later on in his life, you see the people that they're coming against him and they're saying, you're not, that's blasphemous. In other words, they're saying, you're not the son of God. That's blasphemy to say that. And even Jesus, where did he run to? When he got away, where did he go? He went over by the Jordan River because that's where he heard. You are my beloved son that I dearly love. And you bring me great joy. 
I don't think it's coincidence that Jesus went to the Jordan River. I think he was very confident in who he was. But I think there was something about what took place at the Jordan River that just gave him that reminder that, you know what, I know who you say. I know who I am. And he went to this place and said, God, it was right here where you said it. You said I'm your son. And they're challenging me in that. But he goes back to that place that he heard it. And my challenge to you in life, and my challenge to you today, is that you got to go to that place where God told you who you are when you first gave your life to Jesus. And he said, listen, you're a new person. The old is gone. The old is done. You now belong to me. You're now mine. You're now my child. You've been bought with a price. You're a child of God. You're more than a conqueror. You're accepted by me. You're loved by me. You're valued by me. And stop looking for that with everybody else. And anytime someone someone questions or causes you to question who you are by their opinions, you got to go back to this place, this place here that says that's not who I am. I know who I am. I know that I belong to God. When God speaks to you, there's times you got to go back to it. Some of you are familiar with this, but when God called me to plant this church, once I knew it was time to plant a church, I remember driving back from vacation. I remember everything inside of me. Is on the outside, I was like, okay, we're going to plant a church, yeah. On the inside, I was scared. I thought, Lord, I don't, I don't are people going to come? I don't want to do something if I'm going to fail. I don't know how to be a senior pastor. I don't know how to, I don't, I don't even have my whole life together. I don't even, I have my own struggles. I don't know how to do it. I don't want, I don't want to do that. And I wrestled. And I was driving down I-40 near Asheville. And, and for those who have never been to Camp Courtney, I was called at 15 years old. I was in an old beat-up tabernacle at Camp Courtney. This guy was preaching, and he said, Someone here, God is calling you into the ministry, and you've been fighting it. And today, you need to surrender and give your life to do what he wants you to do. And I sat back in that old nasty chair, and I wrestled. I'm like, ain't no way. God, I want to be an FBI. I don't want to do that. We done had this conversation. And everything in me that, I don't know if you've ever felt it, but inside you know there's something like pulling you. And finally I just said, God, you know what? Okay. And I went down to that altar. And I prayed. I said, God, I don't know how. I'm not even happy with you right now. But if this is what you want me to do, I'll do it. But you better provide for me. You better provide and I gave my life to him. And I let go of my own plans for, minute, for, for FBI and for all the other stuff. I left it. And I pursued God. And now here I am, 20 years later. And I'm driving home and I'm at that place again. And you know what I did? I drove. I got off the interstate and I went to Camp Courtney. And I knocked on the door. I said, listen, can I have the keys? I just got to go in the tabernacle for just a minute. And I left my family in the car. I don't know why I'm doing all this. 
I left my family in the car. And I got out and I went to that place where, where I was at 15 years old. And there was no chairs in there. Just me and spiders. Old place hadn't been used in a long time. And I said, God, it was right here that you said I could do it. It was right here you said I could do it. God, I got to have you if I'm going to do it. I got to have you because I don't want to do anything I'm going to fail at. Man, my whole face is twitching. I said, God, I don't want to fail. But if you promise to be with me, I'm I'm in. And by myself, in a dusty spider-filled tabernacle, I walk to this gross stage, and I kneel and I cry, and I say, God, once again, okay. And I don't know if I would have had the strength to do it. I don't know if I would have had, thank you. I don't know if I would have had the strength to do it had I not gone back to that place and remembered, God, it was this place where you told me I could do it. It was right here in this nasty, nasty room. You said I could do it if I would just say yes. And God, you've been so faithful. And I left that place that day more confident than I'd ever been up to that moment. Say, God, I remember now. I remember that same feeling of once I surrendered, the confidence that you said, you'll do it. And can I tell you something? Look around. He did it. He did it. And he's still doing it. In spite of my stuff, in spite of where I miss it sometimes, in spite of me not having it all together, he still did it. And I'm going to tell you something. God has a plan and a purpose for you as a son and as a daughter of God. And you have to continue to go back to that place and remember what God says about you. Not what God says about how you should do everything. What does God say? Who does God say that you are? Who does he say you are? We've gone over it. Meditate on those scriptures. You walk out of here today with your head up. People may look at you. They may think things about you. They may say things about you. But you are not what people say. You are what your creator says. He created you. He made you. If he created you, listen, think about it as a little little kid that draws this, you know, little two-year-old that scribbles. What is that? That's you, daddy. That's not me. Listen, he made it. He knows what it is. That's you. You may not agree with it, but to him, that's you. Well, guess what? God created you. God made you. And when you question, oh, that's not me. Oh, excuse me. I made you. I know who you are. I created you. I breathe life into you. You are who I say you are. If you want to choose to live your own thing, that's fine. But that doesn't change that. You really are who God says you are. You're just living a lie. 